Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. If you're familiar with your Old Testament, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament obviously was Moses, but he represents the law, that part of the Old Testament, the giving of the law, the first five books, and then there's the prophets, and they are represented by a man named Elijah, one of the great prophets in the Old Testament. God called him to choose an assistant to serve him, and that assistant's name was Elisha. And so for several years, Elisha served Elijah, and up to that time, there had not been any prophetic succession, but in this particular case, Elijah has called Elisha because God told him to, to come and to serve him, and Elisha did that, and then eventually, there came a time when God was ready to take Elijah up to heaven, so Elijah did not die. He was taken up to heaven, a picture of what God's going to do for us or those who are alive at the return of the Lord. So I want to point out a couple of things about that moment when Elijah was taken up to heaven and things that Elisha did to position himself so that he could experience the more of what God wanted to do in his life. The first thing I want you to notice is he refused to listen to negative voices. When you read 2 Kings chapter 2, and hopefully you can go back and read it. We're not going to read all of it, but you can go back and read it tonight or tomorrow. It immediately becomes obvious that the entire prophetic community, the community at Jericho, the community at Bethel, they knew that Elijah was going to be taken from Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 3, the company of the prophets at Bethel, so what Elijah is doing is he goes to Gilgal, he goes to Bethel, he goes to Jericho, then he's going to cross the Jordan River. And as he goes to these different places, and we don't know really why he went, scholars speculate that it, it has uh, prophetic meaning and there's typology and all of that probably is legitimate. But when they come to Bethel, the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. And then again in verse 5, the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. You know what they're doing when they're coming out and they're doing this, and it's not very obvious in the English, but it's very clear in the Hebrew. What they're doing is they're not just giving him a sense of their own prophetic insight, but what they're doing is they're, they're almost derisively saying this to him. What they're saying in the Hebrew, it's, it's like, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from your head? In other words, what they're saying is, you know, Elisha, you're only what you are. You think you're all this in a bag of chips, but the only reason why is because you're hanging out with Elijah, and when he's gone, you're nothing. You know, it's interesting, but sometimes God's people can be petty, and God's prophets can be petty. 
Sometimes we get the idea that if they're a prophet, they're not going to have any faults, but that's not true. They're human. Elijah was a man just like us, the Bible says in James. So here they are. What they're, what they're saying to him is they're saying, once Elijah's gone, you're going to be a nobody. And if we're going to receive all that God has for us, one of the things that the enemy wants to do is he wants to attack any sense of divine purpose that you have in your life so that you won't walk in that purpose. He wants to discourage you. He wants, he wants you to think that, that, that it's not going to happen. And so he sends at times voices. If we're going to receive what the Lord wants to do in our life, we, we have to refuse to listen to negative voices. And in Elisha's case, the negativity comes from the prophets. And it's repeated. I mean, it happens at Bethel. It happens at Jericho. And sometimes what the enemy does is, is he can take what is a word of God or an insight on one thing and then twist it through the human nature of people and, and, and use it to try to discourage us. Or sometimes people are just flat wrong. And we have to be careful what we do with the negativity of people and the place we give it in our heart and in our mind. I remember when I went when in our first church, uh, when we went there, it was a, a very divided church, and, and they hired me because I found out later they said it. We hired you because you were 22, and we thought we could push you around, but they didn't really know me. And, you know, I was from that part of the country, and, and they were stubborn, but I was equally stubborn. And so, um, you know, we, we get in this church, and it's very divided. The board is divided. Um, people... You know, I don't know that people were super happy. Somehow they voted me in. I don't know why they did, but I'm, I'm cleaning out the, the uh, closets in the basement. That's what you do when you, when you first go to a church, a small church, because you got all this clutter. And so I, I got one of the board members to help me. And uh, so he had his pickup, had a little trailer, and we threw all the stuff out, all of the old Sunday school quarterlies. All, it was just a lot of junk. We're driving out to the city dump, and he says to me, he says, can I tell you something? I said, sure. He said, I didn't vote for you. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm just like, I was like, oh. And he said, can I tell you something else? I said, sure. He said, my wife didn't vote for you either. <laughs> and then, then he said, and this is exactly how it went. Can I tell you something else? I, and this is what I said. I said, you mind as well. You're on a roll. And <laughs> he said... Well, I don't know how to say this, but you're not God's man, and you won't last six months. And I said, well, can I tell you something? And he just looked at me, and I said, I am God's man. He has sent me here, and I'm going to be here longer than six months, so you're going to need to learn to love me because I sure love you. You see, sometimes what you have to do is you have to silence the negative voice. You can't give voice. Listen, I can't pastor that church if I'm listening to that negative voice. I've got to do what Elisha did. I've got to say, do not speak of it. I know, I know that's what you think, but let's not talk about that because I believe God's got something he wants to do. The enemy wants to remind us of our deficiencies. And so like, as you're going through the, the, uh, the fast, 
He wants to tell you all the reasons why God's not going to answer your prayer. Or maybe you've got friends and they're saying, you know, the healings are fake or, or fasting's a waste of time. Or I feel so sorry for you that you go to a church that makes you do that kind of stuff or, or makes you turn in your 1040 or all those kind of things, the ridiculous things people say. It's not true. Um, <laughs> urban legend. But if you listen to the negativity of the crowd, you're going to find yourself discouraged and you'll find yourself either doing less or quitting. If you want more from God, there's always going to be people who are going to challenge that desire on your part. The enemy will see to it. And that's where you have to say, I'm not going to listen to the negative voices. Sometimes we have to do like Elisha and we have to say, listen, I believe the word of God. I know what God has put in my heart and I'm confident in my ability to hear the voice of the Lord and I know he's working in my life and I believe God is going to answer this fast. I believe God's going to answer my prayers. I believe the healings are real. I believe people are going to get saved. I believe God's going to do a great work that he has a purpose for my life. I'm not going to give room to the negativity of the voices. Second, he remained faithful to what God called him to do. You know, here's Elijah, and Elijah keeps trying to leave Elisha behind. When you read it, they, they, they go down to Bethel, and, and Elijah says, why don't you just stay here? And, I'm, and uh, Elisha says, no, no, I'm, I'm staying with you. They get to Jericho. He does the same thing. Finally, they're going, they're going to cross the Jordan River, and it's at this point, there's an interesting conversation. They'd cross the river, and Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha replied, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. That's a huge request. I mean, outside of Moses, Elijah's done more miracles than anybody. He's done seven miracles. He's raised the dead. He's called down fire from heaven. He ended a drought with his prayers. He started a drought with his prayers. This is a man who knows how to command the power of God. And now here is Elisha, and he's saying, yes, I've seen what you've done, but I'm asking for double the anointing that's on your life. Elisha understands that no matter what has happened in the past, God always delights in doing more. The greatest revivals haven't happened. The greatest moves of God have not happened. The greatest awakenings have not happened. The greatest miracles have not happened. The greatest salvations have not happened. The greatest work of God in your life has not happened yet. There's more, more than you and I can ask or imagine. Here's Elisha, and he says, I want double. Elijah said, well, you've asked a really difficult thing. It's interesting. As you read this, there's no positivity on Elijah's part. It's not like, I mean, you wish he would say, wow. Good on you. That's a great thing, man. I would love for you to stand on my shoulders and go farther, faster, accomplish more than I did. But Elijah can't say that. 
I want to suggest to you that, you know, we, we have a tendency to look at these people as stained glass people, as perfect people. They're not. He was a man just like us. I want to suggest to you there's a little bit of ego in there. Like, really? You think you could be me? You, you want double? You want to be better than I was? You want to be a better prophet, a more powerful prophet than me? Really? And I think in Elisha's case, he's not perfect either. Because you're going to watch at the end of the chapter, some, some youths are making fun of him and jeering at him as he's going up to Bethel. And he gets hot and he calls down a curse on them and bears come and maul 42 of them. I mean, and then the next chapter, when the king of Israel is in trouble and he calls for Elisha, I mean, the guy's turning to God and Elisha's like, I don't have any respect for you. I wouldn't have any time for you. I don't even want to talk to you. You know, he kind of reads in the right act. He's, he's a guy with a bit of a temper. So it's very interesting. And I say that only because prophets aren't perfect. Let me just say this. Nobody can stand on the pedestal very well. Not excusing. I'm not saying, I'm not saying people shouldn't try to live. I, I want to lead a life that's an example. I'm just telling you, Nobody can endure the adulation of the crowd. There are no perfect prophets. It's just true. And if you put somebody in that category, you will ultimately find them doing something that disappoints you. Elijah's not perfect. Elisha's not perfect. But the good news is God powerfully uses people who are perfect. That ought to encourage every single one of us. I mean, here's, here's the thing. When I read this, I get the idea that Elijah's a bit pinched by this. And yet, you know what's interesting? In just a few moments, he's going to be caught up into heaven without dying. Only one of two people in the Old Testament, Enoch and Elijah, never died. So it's a very interesting thing. So Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, can't help you. I mean, it's almost like, you know, it's all up to you. I'm not, I'm not helping you at all. And so what's interesting is you watch this. Here is Elisha, and he's decided, guess what? I have been serving that man for years. I've been keeping my on, on him for years, and I am not stopping now. I am going to continue to be faithful. I'm not going to get distracted from what God called me to do. God called me to serve him. I'm going to keep serving him. God called me to do that. I'm going to keep doing that. He was passionately committed to what God has called him to do. Listen, here's the thing. As God is moving around us, and as God works powerfully among us, we have to remember that the things he's called us to do, are we, we can't get distracted. We have to stay focused on those things. If he's, if he's called you to lead a life group, lead that life group. If he's called you to, to serve on a dream team, serve on that dream team. Whatever it is he's called you to do, do it with all of your heart. And his faithfulness in that present assignment results in a blessing for the future. Watch what happens. In verse 11, as they were walking along and talking together, 
Suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So as Elisha is doing his job of watching Elijah, all of a sudden, something very wonderful and something unexpected happens. A chariot and horses of fire. Can you imagine? It comes, it comes rolling right through, and, and Elijah is not going to ride the chariot up to heaven. So what purpose does the chariot have? The chariot and the fire comes to really challenge Elisha's commitment to what God's called him to do. The issue is this, because here is Elijah, and he's going to go up in a whirlwind. He's going to go up in a tornado. A tornadic wind, a fire, is going to take him up. And the chariot, now, if, if you saw chariots, a chariot and horses of fire go right across here, I want to believe every one of you would ignore it and keep listening to me. <laughs> That's your assignment. But boy, wouldn't it be hard. What, you, what would you want to do? You'd be like, what was that? Here's Elisha. The chariot and the horses of fire go by, and they go by, and he's got his eye right on Elijah. And he sees the whirlwind, and Elijah's caught up into heaven. It was a test. Listen, for Elisha to be able to carry a double anointing, there would be incredible signs and wonders. And the issue would always be this. Could he keep his eye on the assignment God had given him, even when supernatural activities and phenomena were happening all around him? Can you and I keep our eyes on Jesus? <laughs> when everything else is happening around us, can we keep from getting caught up in the gift so much that we forget the giver? Healing's a wonderful thing, but if healing ever takes our eyes off the healer, we've missed the whole reason for the healing. It's all about Jesus. The work of the Spirit among us, the move of God among us is to make Jesus more real to us and to demonstrate his love and his power and his person to a watching world and to the people who come into this place and the people we'll talk to as we go out from this place. I mean, could he set his heart on the will of God and not be pulled away by the wonder of his anointing? Listen, all I'm saying is that as God begins to use you and I, you ask for more. Here's the, the beautiful thing. God gives more. But with him giving more is a responsibility that we have that we don't get caught up in the gift he's given so much that we forget him as the giver or that we don't get caught up so much in the anointing that he has set upon us. And I'm, I'm praying God would anoint every single one of you beyond what you could imagine. So what I love about this, this whole thing is not, it's not dependent on a person. This is what I love. People in the aisles praying, people getting healed. Somebody has a word. Somebody else has a word. It's not one person. It's, it's God visiting his people. It's God visiting you. It's God using you. It's God wanting to, to pour his power out on you. 
And all that happens best when we, we love him most. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We love everything he's doing, but it's always, 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 always about Jesus. He's the one who heals. He's the one who saves. He's the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He's the one who does. It's his church. He's the one who builds the church. He's the one who saved you and called you and loves you and walks with you. It's, it's about Jesus, right? And we want more, and he desires to give us more. But may we be like Elisha and say, you know what? I'm not going to be distracted by the amazing things you do around me. I'm going to thank you for them. But always, I'm going to focus on you. Amen.